Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. A reminder, as we do typically at this point, right before the weekly Front Row Knowles podcast begins, don't forget about the Dunlap Champions Club. Football season is creeping closer, and that means you need to take care of yourself. If you haven't been in there yet, many of you probably have at this point. It's a tremendous experience. Chairback seats, food and beverage, air conditioning when needed. Uh, it's a great facility. You and I have had the opportunity to be there for some other functions up there on the fourth floor not related to football, and obviously that entire facility uh, really added a great deal to Dope Campbell Stadium and really adds a great deal to the game day experience. Hey, it's a really, really good experience. If you haven't been in there or if you have and you want to learn more, call them, take a tour, uh, check it out. Uh, do yourself a favor this season, even if you have other tickets or you don't want to commit to uh, a five-year agreement for club seats in the in the Dunlap Champions Club, Go ahead and sample at least for one game or get a three-game ticket pack. And the three-game ticket packs, you get to choose Virginia Tech, Clemson, or Florida, one of those three games. And then the other two games come from the remaining home schedule, which is Samford, Northern Illinois, Wake Forest, or Boston College. It's only 700 bucks for those three games. Includes all your food and non-alcoholic beverage. Uh, beverage is well worth it. Very much so. And again, uh, we've got some nighttime kicks, but sometime during the year, there's going to be some afternoon games in that sun and being able to get inside and enjoy those uh, air-conditioned facilities. Uh, a great plus on game day. Visit Seminoles.com backslash tickets for more information. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you. KJ, good to see you. Good to be seen. We are in the doldrums and the dead of summer. Maybe not quite the dead of summer. But having a good time doing it. At least I am. Last week, as a side note, the day before spring, the last day of spring, I got in my car and and it said 110 degrees. And I thought, boy, this spring air is terrific. (laughs) Refreshing. 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 I'm really going to enjoy summer. Anyway. Don't worry, though, because even though it is the doldrums or dead or whatever you want to call it of summer, we've got the football aficionado joining us later on in today's program. Is he the godfather? The guru. Pick any superlative and apply it in front of the name Phil Steele because he's a guy who can tell you right now that New Mexico State returns eight starters offensively and six defensively. Both specialists are back. They have six home games, six road games. They're going to be favored in 11 of them. You remember they he were likes number, them to go 8-4. They, they were 123 in the country against the score last year. That'll be much improved in 22nd in scoring offensive firepower. Phil Steele has been high on FSU the last few years when we've had him on. Higher, in fact, than where FSU ultimately finished. So it will be an interesting conversation now that it's the Willie Taggart regime to see what Phil thinks about Florida State and the ACC. And we'll ask him about Miami and Florida as well. But he is he does an awful lot of prep. And that's an understatement for this. He pretty much he might take a week off after the magazine goes to print. And then he's back looking at next year's magazine. He was metrics before metrics. Exactly right. So he will join us later on in the program. Also, Lane Hurt, our Seminoles.com insider this week, because Tim Linnefelt, being the big timer he is, he's traveling the world or doing something. How dare him he's take a vacation? doing something other than our show today. How so dare we will him take a vacation? We'll talk to Lane and we'll look back. I'll ask this question to you, Keith, as we get started, because we'll ask Lane. So you have the calendar year or the academic, academic year academic. that was the academic year that was Florida State Athletics. 
And there's no way if we were sitting here a year ago that we could have predicted some of the things that happened. Most notably, the slide for football, the departure of Jimbo. You work with basketball. I don't know that you would have suggested Elite Eight with what the team lost. I don't know if any of us would have picked a softball national championship. What else sticks out for you from this past year? Well, those are those are the positives. Uh, well, the second part of that is the hiring of some would say that first comment about jimbo's departure was in the former and then you would look at and and you know your baseball team uh is zero and two um to finish the year um you know such high expectations for both of the golf programs and so that that's not necessarily correct to make it a negative but they were they were doing so well as was tennis well women thought they were just going to run through everything yeah, isn't it amazing? We spent four seconds on positive, and immediately we yep. go there. So I'm sure Trey Jones, if we talked to him, would be disappointed that the men's golf team didn't extend the streak of getting to the national championships. The men's tennis team, for as good as they were this year, bowed out around at least around earlier right. than they would have wanted to. They didn't get to the final. And stage. I think the expectations for the women's basketball, and, and Sue included, would tell you that uh, they were they would be disappointed with where they finished relative to what the the hope was. Um, and while that, that comes across as being negative, I think the sum total is the fact that uh, Florida State, by all measurements, and I haven't done the calculations, don't know how, but I think is going to slide right back into the top ten in the Director's Cup in terms of overall uh, excellence uh, across all sports in the, in the uh, program. And it's been a while since they've been in, in the top ten, so kudos to everybody, even though there might be some that say we could have done a little bit more. They'll be in the top 10, and it, it, it overall, I think five ACC championships this year for FSU. We just sort of glossed over the fact that the beach volleyball team was national runners-up runners up. and has been in the Final Four every year since they've been playing, basically. No, there's there's good things here. I guess, to me, maybe soccer, this, this is where you're a victim of your own success because Mark Krikorian won the ACC so many years in a row and went to the Elite Eight. And then they had a year where they didn't do that. And, and so they've dipped a little bit of late, but they have a fantastic star in Dana Castellanos who's been at the World Cup. I'll ask Lane about that, but that's a program that that probably is poised to come back up to that that level that they were at. What about athletes or performances from FSU this past year that stick out? Well, my, my number one, in fact, I voted uh, on Monday. Uh, I'm part of the sports media folk that vote on the ACC Player of the Year, male and female Player of the Year, and I am, and I voted uh, Jesse Warren without hesitation. I think by far on the female side, um, in all of the SC, uh, ACC, she she captured everyone's uh, attention, imagination, and was cultiv- captivating all the way up to that catch and then the throw to make the double play. I mean, it's, it's kind of like we've reflected over the years in, in the way back in 93 when Charlie – Ward was on that little quarterback run and he made that little leap over the defender and almost ended up with the Heisman pose in the air yeah we called it the high that was against Virginia yeah. the Heisman leap and yeah. we said that's when he won the Heisman trophy well uh, that catch for Jesse in my opinion is when she won the ACC female player of the year against all sports and and I voted for Chubb the defensive end from NC State for the male side um I think that was phenomenal you didn't vote for him as the nicest guy in the league no I did not yeah Uh, it was strictly on the field performances uh and I think you know in terms of other performances you know Florida State taking the on the basketball side men's basketball side taking a very poor performance in the first game of the ACC tournament and then turning that into wins in the NCAA tournament, uh, kind of that turnaround, mental turnaround that they made 
is probably also up there in terms of things that were surprising and really, really fun to watch. One thing, Jesse Warren, you could argue, was the player of the year across all sports for FSU or, you know, across the athletics department. But in terms of uh, individual performances for a run, Stephen Wells had that midseason period where he what did he get hits like 14 straight at bats and went 21 for 25 or something over a week I mean you'd never do that in baseball that's I mean he set an FSU record for it the end of the day it's just a you know his name will be in the record book for that and it's sort of forgotten the season didn't go the way we wanted it but for him who had a had a nice senior year when not much was expected of him to do that that was a remarkable little run he had too agreed Lane Hurt will weigh in he knows much more and has a more than that He's younger than both of us, so he has a he memory. Remember, yeah, he he'll actually remember. remember some more of these things. Uh, I do want to point out that uh, Madison Social, Township, Centrale, all open for business. $5 old school squares tomorrow at Centrale. Township just opened a location in Fort Lauderdale, by the way, or is about to. I forget. That's a long commute for lunch. That is a long – yeah, I'm not – advocating that necessarily but uh we do have more florida state alums in broward county than any other county in the state not except for leon so if there's a florida state feel there i think that they will probably do well isn't there also a connection madso has a connection with another um, uh, restaurant tavern place in new york city that somehow was connected at one time yes yes and I've been there. I should have prepped a game you on, watching I, I, site. I've I've been there as well, and I cannot remember the name. Apologies, but it's there. The Seminole Club in New York City uses it as one of its game watching sites, and uh, I'll come up with the name maybe as we continue. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe not. All right, we'll step aside. We'll come back. We're just getting cranked up here again. Phil Steele joins us later on. Lane Hurt joins us next here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. For the first time in the history of this program, Keith, I actually looked up something that I said I would look up during the break, and I actually have the answer. And you verified. I verified. Usually I do that, and then I forget, and we never come back to that point. And our listeners crush my inbox. They're so frustrated and know the answer. The The answer in this case is uh, Saloon in New York City, which I've been to. And uh, Brian there opened that, and then he partnered with Matt Thompson and uh, maybe some others and opened in Madison Social and the whole For the Table restaurant group. That said... Let's fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to not Tim Linnefelt, uh Lane Hurt, and I, I guess I'll just put the cards on the table, Lane, in, in light of that noise. I was trying to think of something clever. I got nothing. He's not at a maximum security prison right now. He, he's actually at uh, – did, did you just walk out of something from Radio Shack that did, you didn't pay for? Yeah, did you steal something at Target? What just happened there, Lane? You know what? I, uh, I'm i going to plead the fifth on that. I mean, I could be at the BTC watching the uh, women's team go through their drills, waiting on an interview, or I could have just be on the run right now from uh, from as – Well, we don't want to make it sound yeah. like you're uh... – you're on the run from law enforcement we'll go with that you're at the basketball training facility you said you're waiting for an interview 
Yes. And, and uh, uh, on the women's side, men's side, both, what you got? Uh, well, the women are working out, and I'm waiting on uh, Mr. Brian Angola, who recently signed with the Orlando Magic. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that and his thoughts on playing summer ball with the Magic and teaming up with uh, uh, Jonathan Isaac again, even if it's for a, for a little bit of time. I saw Dwayne Bacon is playing summer ball, too. I mean, Brian Angola doesn't have a chance to stick here, does he? I, I wouldn't think so, but it's just an amazing opportunity for him to be oh, you take the opportunity. play with yeah. and then play, play in front of all the scouts. And, I mean, you know there's people from all, all over the world watching. I'll it's tell you what, though, guys. Great opportunity to get himself in a good spot. Remember one thing about the NBA, and, and Angola had a tremendous improvement from his junior year to his senior year in his three-point shooting. You know, he notches that up another five or seven points and starts hitting 42, 43% from three. I realize it's backed up a little bit at the NBA level, but he can make a living shooting threes in the NBA. He's always defended fairly well. If he shoots the three well in the way that the, and puts a, puts a little weight on his frame, you, you never know. I mean, you saw a guy like a Carl White kind of toil through the overseas and the D League and, and all of that, and he's he's. He's put himself on NBA rosters. I'm going to forget living doing that. Yeah, I'm going to forget the specific details. But O'Carl White, wherever he was playing in Europe, he was the star. Yeah, and, and his team offered him like two years, a million guaranteed, or some sort of life changing money for most of us. And uh, he didn't sign because he he wanted to play in the NBA. Instead, he came back, and I think he went to the Heat summer camp or whatever, and. Wound up piecing together a few ten day contracts. Wound up making the roster for the rest of. Then wound up wound up sticking. He's been. It was with Cleveland this year. Bottom line, it was not the safe bet decision that he made, but he ended up. And I think the coaches here advised him to sign and stay in Europe. But he came back and he and he probably has made two to three times the money he would have made had he signed that contract in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And there's ways to do it, and it's not just the NBA to have success. You have guys like. Kyle Turpin, Michael Ojo, two two big guys who are well known here, having great careers overseas, scoring a bunch for their teams, putting their teams in chances to, to to win championships. So, I mean, that's one great thing about this men's basketball program is they have found ways to have guys have a lot of success, not just in the NBA, but but playing professionally other places. So they've done a, a wonderful job of getting guys placed overseas and guys who have had really nice careers for themselves. Yeah, and basketball in general sort of lends itself to those opportunities. Football, I mean, if you don't stick with an NFL team, you can go to the CFL or one of these leagues that pops up and then drops off the map every year or so. And and baseball, you can get an opportunity, but it's at minimum wage, basically, if you were a non-drafted type guy that's, that's playing minor league ball. All right, let's shift off that topic, though, and, and we'll move to one that probably involves basketball, Lane, but... Uh, in your work at Seminoles.com, when we look back at the athletic year that was, the academic year for FSU Athletics, what resonates, and this is probably pretty obvious, Keith and I already shared ours, but what are your, say, your top three stories from uh, this past year, good or bad? Tom, uh, uh, I, have, I have thought so much about this over the, the last month, and I have to start with saying, how lucky are we to be at Florida State, where you look back at the entire breadth of success at Florida State, you look at, and I'm using air quotes here, the horrible, awful football season we had where we're 7-6 and six and go to a bowl game. I mean, that's that's as bad as it gets at Florida State where every team is in the postseason. So many teams are making deep runs, trying to win championships. 
And it's just so unique and special, and we are so blessed. And with that said, top one, obviously, softball, going on the run to win the national championship. That was wild. That was amazing. Unbelievable to see the team catch fire the way they did and play as well as they did and just gain so many fans across the country for the way that they won. That was amazing. Screaming on my couch, best moment bar none. The second one was has to be, and I was there for the entire journey, was the, the men's basketball elite eight, and just the way they did that, the comeback against Xavier, how they were, were down and frustrated and fighting with each other but never giving up and coming back to win that game to just dominating Gonzaga for most of the game and, and kind of being right there against Michigan, just having that shot to go to the Final Four was just incredible. And then I'm going a little bit off the beaten path with, with my third one because you don't always get a lot of love. But to see the women's tennis team do what they did, to, to beat Florida twice in the same season and to clinch the trip to the Sweet 16 on the Gators' home court, anytime you beat Florida, and especially to eliminate them from, from postseason play, kind of he jumps up uh, pretty high in the list. And then to top that off to, to make the Elite Eight for the first time, which is just I mean, that's exciting and awesome for, for any sport. And to see a team kind of capture that moment and have fun with it. So those are the three that, that stick out in my mind in what was, again, another amazing season of, of, of Florida State Athletics. Lane, we also talked about, and, and, and don't mind sharing, uh, individual performances. I think, obviously, on the women's side, um, both the season and the catch. Uh, on the women's side, you go with uh, with Jesse Warren. Do you have a male Florida State player of the year you've thought about? Oh, man. I think oh, that is so tough. i got to go with Andre Ewers, what he did for, for track and field. Just the, the next in the list of, of great Florida State sprinters to go to, to national and to place second and third in the 100 and the 200. I guess it would be the 200 and the 100 in placing second and third. And then leading the relay to a top eight finish. That's three All-American finishes there. And what was an incredibly deep year of sprinting for, for uh, NCA as, as a whole. And to know he's got another year coming back and can do something even greater potentially next year. I would have, I have to say on a male side, but his. And then just from an overall perspective, i got to go look at a guy, men's tennis team, Guy Iridacunda, who was a Wilma Rudolph Award recipient. Just how well he played for the team, the way he represented the university, going through some of the struggles that he did. His country has been in civil war, hasn't seen his family since he moved to the United States is in about four years now and just the way that he's represented himself at the university english is his third language he graduated this spring so just to see a guy compete at the highest level is one of the best players but also you know just do it the way that he he has one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet keith did you notice how that name rolled off his tongue I can't pronounce it. Guy Iridacunda. I cannot pronounce it. All right, we'll have a test the later on. Guy. The tennis guy. Let's ask this. This, this is a good segue. So as, as we look ahead, because that's what we do, we always have to project. We can only look back uh-huh. for so long. And um, as we look ahead, who's the best athlete, men's or women's? Uh, and I'll, I'll give you three. Uh, rank them. The top three athletes, any program at Florida State right now. Whew. Uh, Dana Castellano, number one. From soccer. He- from soccer she's incredible she's going to be one of the best players 
in the in the world for years to come. And what she can do with the soccer ball is ridiculous. She's she's got to be number one of players who are, who are currently here. I mean, Andre yours track and field is is definitely on that list. The, the sprint, the way he he does. I mean, he's he's right there along with the the, the greats and could have one of the best seasons ever, which is saying a lot with uh, what they what they have coming back. And then, uh, man, for a third one, geez. Um, man, you, you want to throw out some names for me? Cam Akers, Drew Mendoza. Ooh. Okay. Man, I'm going to, yeah, I think Cam Akers is a good one. I think a lot of people are expecting a breakout year from him and uh, I think a lot of people have been excited the way that he's worked in this offseason and, and coming in and I yeah I could definitely see him having a, a big big year for, for the Seminole I think most people are expecting that in light of the new offense and, and opportunities and all that it's an interesting question uh, it's easy to lose sight of if you're not particularly close to it and you obviously you cover it every day uh, not everybody goes to women's soccer matches or is aware of what Andre did on the track. Of course, if you listen to this show, we had Andre on the program a couple weeks we did, ago. We did. We've had, yeah. we've, had, we've had Dana on the show. We have not had Cam Akers. Or did we have Mendoza? We might have had Mendoza on Mendoza last on year. Mendoza on once. All right. So Cam Akers, we're going to have to get him in the queue at some point. Make a note. There we go. Matthew, make a note. What you got uh, on Seminoles.com as we go through the month of July, which uh, is probably, I'm just going to throw out maybe not the most trafficked month of the of the year for seminoles.com but maybe your content is so scintillating that it is it's uh it's creativity month where you try to come up with some projects and some fun things to do we are very fortunate that a a certain Seminole legend came through uh, the spring game and uh, allowed us to put a microphone on him as he uh kind of went around the facilities and and met some people and, and looked around and showed his uh, his family around. So, you know, Amazon has a little thing called uh, Prime Day they like to do in July. And when that day comes, we may have our own little Prime uh, Prime Day special for for uh, Florida State fans. I think it'll be something they'll uh, they'll really enjoy. All right, we can do the math on who that is. That's uh, you probably didn't have to coach him up very much. You don't even have to wind him up. Just put the red light on on the camera and you're good, right? You guys have no idea what that day was like. And it was like it was two it was basically 2 hours and when you're in that gravitational pull and you're around it, it is the most scintillating thing I've seen. And let's just say that he was in a room at the same time as Derek Brooks and Charlie Ward and that was just a Probably enough to make my my head explode. All right, we're, we're getting to the humble we're getting to the humble brag portion of the program, Lane. We got to cut you off now. Hey, th- thank you for filling in for uh, Tim. Did Tim tell you is, is Tim coming back like two hours before kick on Labor Day night? I mean, is that what he negotiated? He's like most likely yes. Tra- tra- I would expect not to see Tim again until August. Yeah, he's traversing the world. All right, well, he's earned it. <laughs> Lane, we appreciate it as always. Happy Fourth uh, to you and yours. Thanks, Lane. Happy Fourth to you guys. Thanks for having me again. You bet, Lane Hurt from uh, Seminoles.com. What do you think about Cam Akers this year? We we haven't really delved into that, and this is what you do at this point in the. I I think that if Florida State's offensive line can be serviceable or slightly above serviceable, where where Coach Taggart has the ability to call plays the way he wants to, not the way he has to, that that will give Cam. 15, 18, maybe even 20 touches a ball game. 
with six, seven of them coming through the air. And if he gets between 15 and 20 touches a game, you're looking at another 1,000 yards rushing and another 500 yards receiving, and he will solidify himself as, as being someone you want to pay extra special attention to. I think he's going to go higher than the the 1,000 yards, more in the 1,500-yard range, potentially. Now, we'll see. There's uh, there's only one football, and there's a lot of talented backs in that backfield, so we'll have to just get a feel for how Willie calls it. I'm starting to get excited about it. I mean, I was on the tour for a few weeks. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I will say this. I was I was walking my dog the other day early in the morning, and a gentleman stopped me. He says, Tom, he was walking his dog. He said, how are we going to live up to this hype? And I just I looked. I said, we do this every year, whether it's a coaching change or not. I mean, last year at this time, Florida State was going to go toe-to-toe in the GOAT game, and everybody for FSU had FSU beaten Bama, and it'd just be – Right back to what Florida State did in 13 and 14 type thing. So it doesn't matter. By the No matter how the season ends, it was a 7-6 and six year. By the time you get right now and you're thirsting for football, we're what's all the, convinced. What's the number? 130, 131 uh, teams, programs teams now yeah. in uh, FBS. And uh, probably about 120 of them think they have a chance to win the national championship. Yeah, exactly right. I will say this: most people, I think, when I from a media standpoint and from a fan standpoint, I think most people have the restrictor plate on. They like what they've seen and heard from Coach Taggart. They like the staff. It's younger. It's more diverse. It's a different style at practice. How? Uh, but when I say the restrictor plate's on, I, I haven't run into people that think Florida State's in the playoffs this no. year. How? How electric is Doak Campbell Stadium going to be on Labor Day night to introduce the Taggart era? Um, you and I have talked about the fact that the Oklahoma game in 11 or 12 2011 was as loud as we ever seen. I will tell you that going all the way back to the smaller stadium, games against Pitt, games against Florida when there was 47,000, 50,000, 55,000, those were very loud, but obviously they weren't 80,000 like in the Oklahoma game. But I think Labor Day night – is going to be as electric as Dope Campbell Stadium has ever been. And whether win, lose, or draw, and whether go 8-4 and four or 12-0, and 0, it, just, it just talks about the renewed enthusiasm that the program is enjoying. And that's what it's enjoying right now. We will step aside and we'll see what Phil Steele has to say about this renewed enthusiasm for the Florida State program when the uh, football guru joins us next right here in Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, and we're really pleased to bring Phil Steele back to the program as we uh, fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once more, the Earl Bacon Agency hotline ensuring your future together. Phil is a, uh, a guru, and aficionado. I- I'm not sure how you prefer to be. Godfather. I'm, I'm going with Godfather. <laughs> uh, but but you know more about college football as uh, we get into the summer and, and sort of count down to, to football. So how are you, first of all, Phil? 
you know, I am doing great. And uh, how about you gentlemen today? We are doing very, very well. Uh, before we get into the uh, the X's and O's and we and we uh, talk specifically about FSU and the ACC and some others, uh, share with our listeners how they can get your latest uh, publication via online or uh, actual old school magazine style. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's out and available right now at all the bookstores and newsstands, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, CVS, Publix, Target, Walgreens, and Walmart. Pick up your copy today, 352 pages. And if you are at the bookstore, open up a copy compared to every other college football magazine on the newsstand. You'll see three to four times the amount of information. You know, we give you two full pages on a team like Florida International, the same amount of coverage we give you on Florida State, Oklahoma, and Ohio State or Alabama. So it's uh, 352 pages at the bookstores, or go to philsteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E. You can actually download it to your iPad, your Android device, or your computer right now. Uh, so either way, uh, you get uh, the great information that you're going to be using the entire year. Phil, you saw it. We lived it. What in the world happened to Florida State last year? You, you, along with all of us, were quite high. They finished the year seven and six. What's, what's your take as you reflect back? Well, I'd have to say it was one of those snowball things that happened. You go to the opener against Alabama. I thought FSU played pretty well in the opener. In fact, they had a 15 to 13 first down edge, but then they lose their starting quarterback, uh, DeAndre Francois, late in the game to injury and uh, ended up losing that game and maybe a little bit of confidence as well. Uh, backup quarterback, they lose to NC State. Miami gets a touchdown pass on about the final play of the game to get past them. They've got the ball in the tie game against Louisville, and they turn it over, and Louisville goes down and gets the game-winning field goal at the end. And then the uh, the Boston College uh, debacle happened. Uh, Clemson was a decent game. You know, They were down by six in the fourth quarter and, and had the ball on the Clemson side of the field but lost that one. So a lot of close losses during the course of the year, but uh, you know, needing to reschedule the game against ULM just to keep the bowl streak alive. That's not exactly what Florida State fans had in mind coming into the year. Well, what should we expect this year is there's a new regime, a new sheriff in town, and Coach Willie Taggart. Well, I think he steps into a great situation. And I talked to Coach Taggart this spring and went over the team, and uh, he's pretty happy with the talent he's inherited here. Uh, he's got more talent here than he's had at any of his other stops, naturally. Francois is back at quarterback. I think that's a big plus. I mean, James Blackman did well at times and is a first-year starter at a 19-11 ratio, but I think Francois gives him more upside. The running back core looks really deep. I mean, Akers and Patrick and Coach Steger was very high on the redshirt freshman, Kalen LeBourne. Keep your eyes on him. He should have a big impact this year. Receiving core looks solid with D.J. Matthews and uh, Tamori and Terry. And then you look at the offensive line. That's been a bit of a question mark for Florida State. Uh, the past couple of years, but uh, Coach Taggart really likes three of the guys on the offensive line, thinks you're going to have a pretty good group. I rate him the number 14 offensive line in the country. I think could be one of the more improved units. Remember, uh, Georgia last year was coming off a couple of mediocre years of offensive line play, and then boom, they got good offensive line play and had a big improvement. Defensively, uh, all three units rank in my top units. The biggest question mark being linebacker, which I have at number 35. They'll have some big losses there, but the D-line and DBs are solid. And even the special teams make my top units. So they're one of nine teams in, or one of eight teams in the country that rank in my top units in all eight position categories. Now, when you look at their schedule this year, I think they get off to a good start. And then uh, they'll probably be an underdog at Miami of Florida, home against Clemson, and at Notre Dame. But I think they'll be favored in all their other games. And if they steal one of those, then you're looking at a double-digit win season. I think it's going to be a much better year for Florida State. And, you know, in the Vegas right now at the South Point, the over/under win total for Florida State is seven and a half. 
I got to think that by the time the season rolls around, that thing's going to be up closer to nine. Let me go back to your point about the offensive line, Phil, because as fans do, everybody's an offensive line expert, and Florida State fans in particular have seen their quarterback take a lot of tough hits the last couple of years. So what is the criteria? How do you come up with a ranking that lists Florida State as the number 14 offensive line in the country? I do it a couple of different ways, uh, and there's a lot of factors put into it. And uh, keep in mind, I think most teams complain about their offensive line. Yeah, that's a fair point. There are very few that are like, hey, we really like our offensive line. Anytime there's a sack, there's a complaint. But with FSU, they've got practically everybody back. You look at the career starts that Florida State uh, has on the offensive line, and it's up there among the the, uh, leaders in the country in that regard. Uh, I think with the the running backs are going to gain a pretty good YPC. And then talking to Coach Taggart and asking him about the individual players, and we go over every player on the team, uh, he's pretty high on the guys he's got up front. So I think he'll get the most out of this group. They'll probably adapt to the the hurry-up offense a little bit better, uh, and I I think you're going to see a big improvement in numbers this year. We're talking, of course, with Phil Steele, and uh, you you talked about the schedule. Uh, I think one of the things that's unique uh, going into this year is that the ACC in general is probably as good as they've been in the last decade. We all know about Clemson, uh, but you've got uh, Notre Dame to the degree they play in the schedule. You've got NC State. Uh, I mean, the Virginia Tech is, is, is on the upward trend. This is not uh, a cupcake walk for anybody in the ACC this year. Oh, no, not at all. In fact, I rate Florida State schedule fifth toughest in the country. Uh, and most of the teams in the ACC are playing a toughest schedule. Another one to look out for is Boston College. Florida State fans remember last year's game, but this BC edition is by far Coach Adazio's best unit he's put on the on the field. I think Louisville, even losing Lamar Jackson, is still a top-notch group and could match last year's win total. And, you know, you even get to the bottom of the ACC, the teams that they're listed in the bottom of the division, like a Wake Forest. That's a good Wake Forest team. It was in a bowl game last year, beat Texas A&M as 14 returning starters. Uh, so there's a lot of good talent in the ACC. And two years ago, the ACC was actually my number one rated conference in the country, which is unusual because the SEC had such a stranglehold on that. For 10 straight years, the SEC was the best conference. But the ACC took that title two years ago, and they'll be battling for it again this year. So is Clemson the team to beat, I presume? Yeah, I think so. You know, and, and prior or at the postseason last year, as soon as it ended, I thought, wow, this Clemson defensive line is going to need to be rebuilt because you got four guys that are going to leave early for the NFL. Farrell, Lawrence, Wilkins, Bryant, they're all going to go. They're all first, second, third-round draft picks. And guess what? One by one, they all opted to return. So now with the entire defensive line back, they've got the best D-line in college football, probably the best defense. And offensively, they have an experienced quarterback in Kelly Bryant who could get beat out by the true freshman, Trevor Lawrence. I like the talent they have at running back, the offensive line, at rate number 18 in the country. And uh, they've got three tough games. At Florida State's going to be difficult. Uh, at Georgia Tech and at Texas A&M, plus the at Boston College game as well. But uh, they'll be favored in all their games this year, and I did pick them to make the playoffs. Well, obviously, the FSU faithful, uh, some, some, maybe even the majority, look at one and only one game, and that happens on November 24th against the Gators. What, what should FSU expect out of Florida this year? A much tougher team. In fact, I think Dan Mullen steps into a tremendous situation with Florida because remember last year, prior to the season, Florida suspended 10 players, including their top rusher, top receiver, a good amount of players along both the offensive and defensive lines. And later in the year, an injury plague team at one point was down 28 scholarship players. So they were uh, depleted. Uh, they were going through the, the snowball effect where they were having a losing season. They had an interim head coach. 
a lot of things went wrong. Well, this year, they have 19 returning starters. Practically the entire lineup is back, and that doesn't even include a player like Jordan Scarlett, who was their top rusher in 2016, but was suspended all of last year. He's not included in that 19 number, so they look pretty good there. I think the Gators with Dan Mullen coming in, the quarterback whisperer, he'll get the most out of Felipe Franks. He usually gets the most out of the talent on hand. I've got Florida as my number one most improved team in the country this year. Last year, my number one most improved team, Notre Dame, went from four wins to ten. And I'm looking for a similar thing like that for Florida this year. All right, big picture then. Who who have you got in the playoffs? Who's who's winning this thing? Who's playing for it all? Well, going way out on the limb here, guys. I'm taking Alabama to make the playoffs. Man, that? that's oh, a, man, living on the edge. Yeah. Living on the edge. <laughs> and, you know, with the Tide, it's probably their most experienced team they've had in years. And they're ranked number 50 on my experience chart. Normally they're number 100 or number 110. And when you factor in their schedule this year, they're going to be a double-digit favorite in every single game. So I've got Bama. I've got Clemson. The Big Ten is loaded. They've got five legitimate national title contenders in Ohio State, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. I went with Ohio State. I think uh, Haskins comes in at QB, gives them a better downfield passing threat. They've got Weber and Dobbins at running back, a solid offensive line and defensive line led by Nick Boza. Uh, I've got Ohio State coming out of the Big Ten. And then my fourth playoff team is the one I took a little chance on. I went with a Pac-12 team. I know the Pac-12 fared very poorly in the bowls last year, but I went with the Washington Huskies. I think this is Chris Peterson's best team he's put on the field. 17 returning starters coming back. Jake Browning went from 43 touchdown passes in 16 to just 19 touchdown passes last year. I think he gets back to that 16 form. they got Miles Gaskins, their running back. Nine starters are back on the defense, and if they get past Auburn in the opener, they'll be favored in all the rest of their games. So I've got the Washington Huskies making the playoffs this year. How long as we wrap up, Phil, until Florida State is back in the playoff conversation, do you think? Well, they're an upset of Clemson away from doing it uh, this year, but uh, in reality, generally when a new head coach comes in, it takes about uh, two to three years to get back up there. But as mentioned, sometimes when a new head coach comes in, generally there's a depleted roster, and this roster is not depleted. Coach Tagger was very uh, happy with what he inherited here. Phil, when you when you uh, talk with all the other coaches, and we remind our listeners that you, you do interview all 130, 131 of them, oh. at least all that talk to you, um, what, what, what's the opinion of coach Taggart? Uh, from the other coaches? Yeah. What, what do you hear anecdotally from other folks around the country? Oh, okay. Yeah, really, uh, I, when I'm, when I'm going over a team with the coach, we just pretty much go over their players. So I don't talk to them about other coaches, but I think coach Taggart around the country, uh, generally accepted as a coach on the rise. I mean, you look at what he did, uh, at his first stop at West Kentucky, then to South Florida, then even the one year at Oregon, if he kept his quarterback healthy last year, they would have had a much better year. They averaged 52 points with Justin Herbert healthy, 15 points when he wasn't healthy last year. So I think there is a positive, and I like the fact he's coming back to Florida. That's really where he fits best. That's where he's going to be able to recruit best. And Taggart's always been a pretty good recruiter, and he's going to be an even better recruiter now he's got the Florida State label behind him. Phil Steele's 2018 college football preview is on newsstands, 352 pages of football information. Your boss may not be happy that we're referring you to the newsstands, uh, but uh, pick it up. Your productivity will go down, but your excitement for the football season will go up. Um, speaking to our listeners there, Phil, thank you for uh, what you do for college football, and uh, we'll let you move along, but we appreciate it. Hey, guys, a lot of fun talking football with you today. Always enjoy our conversations. All right, Phil Steele. He, uh, Keith, I, you you and I couldn't even come close to 
you remember the expression, a mind like a steel trap? <laughs> <laughs> Phil's picture is beside that. I think I may have even said that last year. He is such a wealth and spends so much time and resources and energy with his staff in putting together uh, comparisons and ratios and rankings. And uh, and obviously he is not always right, but, but you talk to anybody who does the analytics of the predictive magazines – and by far, he exceeds anybody else out there in terms of what actually happens at the end of the year is closest to what he expected to happen. And uh, he, he's gracious enough to join us every year, and we're, we couldn't be more thankful. I hope he's dead wrong about the Gators being the most improved team in the country, by the way. Let the record reflect. <laughs> we'll come back with one more segment on Front Row Knowles after this. Like anything was possible, hit cruise control. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Thank you to Phil Steele, the uh, football or the pigskin encyclopedia. Also, thank you to Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener who take care of all your power tool needs. They have two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. The only thing they may not be able to help you with is they might not carry Phil Steele's magazines on the shelf there but they've got everything else. but they've got everything else and that you Tallahassee stores open on Saturday for you uh, really 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 do it yourselfers all right let's clean up uh, a few things here uh, first of all in regard to Phil anything jump out at you about what he said just continued amazement at all the facts and figures uh, I, I you made the comment as we went to break that we did not make air I'm gonna tell on you you said, I hope he's wrong about the Gators being the most improved team. Uh, I'm going to substitute by maybe Florida State is the most improved team because 7-6 and six is well below our standards. I but said that on the air, by the way. I said you? let the record reflect. Oh, yeah. it was on the air? Yes, yes. Well, I'm not paying attention there. All that other stuff we discussed, that was not on the I'm air. not mentioning that. Yeah, okay, appreciate that. Um, 14 for the offensive line. So now I'm one. I'm not – you know, we get to this – it's sort of like we've we've built up all this optimism like I was talking about earlier. But we do this thing where you pick out the warts on the team, and the warts have been linebacker depth and OL play. And by the time you get done assessing it, if we did it for another month or six months or a year... We're going seven and six again. We, we would declare it the worst offensive line in the history of organized football. That's that's the way it, it you know just spirals. Uh, it's clearly not the best offensive line in the country. You described it as if it's serviceable, Florida State will be well, fine. Maybe, maybe a level above serviceable, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anybody. It's just that uh, the way this Taggart offense is, you don't have to do as much with the offensive line as you would have to do in other types of offenses. I just thought 14 seemed jarring as a little bit high. He said the linebackers were 35th. If he would have said similar for the offensive line, I might have said that's you know, if if the midpoint is sixty five or seventy, and you're above the the midpoint, then well, that's where you're going to end up. If he's correct, then that that ought to be a big positive. I just I wanted to make sure we followed up on that. And he did point out that that part of it, I don't know his exact metrics, has to do with returning starts. Right. And you do have some veterans who've played a a lot of football there. You had a chance uh, earlier this week to catch up with one Bobby Bowden. Uh, you know, 
the big timer over here to my right he just goes to dinner with bobby and hangs out with him but uh, how's coach doing he is doing great i uh, had occasion to uh, reconnect with our partner from uh, sun sports days paul kennedy and uh, of course coach bowden and um, had a business meeting that we uh, all attended and participated in obviously coach was the invited guest we were the hanger-ons uh he looks great uh, it looked as good as i've seen him in five years tommy uh alert just as sharp as ever, uh, slung a few barbs my way, uh, as he's apt to do when he uh, is around people that he knows. Uh, the group was just enthralled with his stories. Uh, he's going away on the uh, Bowden vacation in the next week or so, which means all of the kids, all the grandkids. Yes, you, you, you and I've talked, and I've, I've bragged about having nine grandchildren. Coach now has nine great grandchildren, and uh, it was just a absolute pleasure to be around him for for a little while and uh, enjoy his company good to see paul again and uh, again repeating in answer to your question he appears to be doing very very well and uh, it was good to see him good to see paul kennedy too i'm sure and i commented to you i don't know that we've ever had pk on this show so well we need to take a, a, a stroll down memory lane make a note matthew we'll uh late july uh, before maybe maybe when primetime is on seminoles.com we can, we can revisit, revisit Primetime Knowles. Yeah. Paul Kennedy, Keith Jones. What was the first game you guys did? Uh, first game was I was 19- late. I was late to the party, but first happy to be invited. First game we did was 1988, uh, Southern Miss, Florida State in Tallahassee. So that was Brett Favre and, and Primetime had a pick six. He did against Brett Favre. And again, for those of you who are confusing, no, 89, 89 was the game in Jacksonville when it was as hot as fill in the blank and florida state lost to southern miss but they were victorious in 88 that was the first game that we aired and and i don't even know if it was called primetime Knowles back then but for a while sunshine network as it was known did one or two games a year there'd be some pay-per-view games and then it wasn't until uh maybe plus or minus 99 2000 we started doing all of them i believe doing all of them but all the home games were done a few years before that in the late 90s correct that's also correct yeah that's when i was fortunate enough or lucky enough to to roll into the mix there anyway uh we don't need to go down memory lane right now but we should get paul on and uh, paul was once the voice of the alabama crimson tide by the way earlier in his career you may not have known that exactly uh and then he went to sunshine network in 1988 when it launched and he's been there ever since predominantly works or covers tampa bay lightning stuff i guess actually their studios in fort lauderdale now so he spends a lot of time down there One thing I made a note of that we have not talked about yet on this show because I think the news broke uh, after we had done our weekly show, and that's the redshirt rule. I don't know anybody that's opposed to it. I don't know why you would be. So unless you're the curmudgeon that's going to tell me why I should not like this rule, but uh, your thoughts? Uh, I love it. Uh, We've talked about it. We talked with Coach Fisher about it. He had some strong feelings uh, three and four and five years ago. Why it took this long to amend it, I don't know, but – we would remind you that under the old rule, it was the first three or four games only that you could participate in, and you could only participate in a certain percentage of the plays. And if you didn't play more than the percentage and you didn't appear in more than the three or four games, you were eligible to be redshirted. The new rule says you can play in four games at any time during the season for any number of plays and still be considered for a redshirt. Not just early in the year, not a percentage, but four games at any time, any number of plays in those four games. Two reasons why I think this finally got done. Number one, kids sitting out the bowl games. 
because now you're number two or number three players, or if you didn't have another three player, your redshirt guy had to get ready to play. So kids sitting out the bowl games. And number two, just the general overall unfairness, particularly if someone got hurt in the third or fourth game as a starter, had played more than the percentage of plays allowed, even though they were still inside the number of games, they were not eligible. They had to apply for a hardship. And now it's uniform, four games, any time, any number of plays. Coaches like it because it allows them for that All-American who's getting antsy and upset that he's not playing. You can now play him. Now, you can't play him every week, but you can suit him up and get him some action and sort of appease that. Um, It'll be – I'm curious to see how you divide it up because you're going to have some guys who come in – and they're borderline ready to play right now. So you're going to see them in the Samford game. Let's give them a taste of the action. Let's see if they can go. Because if they can help you, you're going to play in the rest of the year. But then there's going to be guys that aren't ready in August and September. But by November, the game slowed down a little bit. That's maybe a bad metaphor with the way Coach Taggart's going to run offense. But but And that's also when attrition sets in or depth issues might. Exactly. And if so if gonna, the two people ahead of them get hurt by the eighth or ninth game, now you can pull them back in and play them without burning that red shirt. And even if they're not hurt, you've got a situation where you got the regulars whose legs might not be quite as fresh. And now you've got another guy who... You know, if you if you ran them in the forty before the season, maybe the the first guy is faster. But now you run it. I mean, I it, it'll, I'm just curious to see how it. I, I like it too. I've I, not heard any negative comment about it. Not a single one. Yeah, and it it does. It really helps the bowl game too. I think because you do get a look. Uh, you know, Florida State hasn't been. Florida State had a lot of guys that didn't play in the bowl game last year, so I could use that as an example. But if your quarterback was moving on, and I don't know, have we had a quarterback yet who skipped the bowl game? Because uh, of draft projection? Well, we had one that skipped the bowl game inadvertently in Chris Ricks, but that's a whole other story. I mean in this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I sorry, the that. curmudgeon had to come out. Uh, how much time do we have, Matthew? He says rap, so i got to save the Chris Rick story till next time we do this. Make a note. I'll leave you all hanging. Folks, have a safe and uh, happy 4th of July holiday, and we'll talk to you again soon here on Front Row Knowles. Breaking the wall